Welcome to Sound Habit, where some of today's most fascinating artists, producers, label owners, and DJs take us on an intimate journey through their personal record collections and the stories behind the music. With your host, founder of Tone Optic, Fabian Garhalter. That's what I love about the analog era of actually playing vinyl, because you actually had to have those records. So records that I was playing on a break scene, especially early 2000s, where no other DJs knew what it was, like everyone was on the hunt. And that's a thrill right there to have everyone on the hunt to you know find what you're playing. But as digital came along and people start discovering what it was and hearing it on YouTube, they could rip it off of YouTube or they could, you know, it just wasn't or they could rip it off your CD that you put out. And, you know, it just it just it's it's such a like a letdown. This was Scheme Richards, one of the best break DJs out there who has collaborated with some of the biggest in hip hop. He was part of the most recognized name in the b-boy and breakdance movement, the Rocksteady Crew, who those of you who grew up in the 80s will definitely remember. If not, look them up. But mostly, he is just a wonderful guy who knows and loves vinyl like few others. In this episode, I talk with Scheme about his collection, what makes record digging exciting, his top stores and his top albums. He shares the releases and artists he's most excited about right now and, of course, leads us back to his roots in block parties and a household that listened to James Brown. While you enjoy this conversation, I suggest having the playlist I created based on some of Scheme's favorites that he mentions during the show going in the background. You can find it on Spotify's Tone Optic channel. Okay, off we go. Here's my discussion with Scheme. Welcome to the show, Scheme. Ah, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, it's it's wonderful having you. I, I know you're back on the road. Uh, Seattle tomorrow for a Strictly 45's night, Miami next week. So especially grateful that you found some time for us before you're heading back to the airport today. Oh, always. I mean, I feel like, you know, these podcasts and you know, different different type of meetings and stuff has really gotten us through the pandemic and, you know, it kept everybody connected. So, you know, anytime I get the opportunity to do one, man, I'm, I'm really excited because, you know, like there's a lot of, lot of listeners out there. So, you know, that's what we're here for, to feed them great information. Totally. And I, I, and I so agree, right? Uh, so much has changed during the pandemic. And that's one of the things, right? We're suddenly all so, so far away from each other and so much closer than ever before. So, it's um it's it's interesting how it how it worked but exactly. you know just as a quick introduction um you know you're you're a dj you're a collector you're um the the self-proclaimed nostalgia king uh a purveyor of rare gems heavy funk 45 slinger a burger connoisseur record label promoter and preserver of culture that's how you describe yourself on your instagram um uh, bio for others, they think Scheme Richards and they think of you as, you know, one of the best break DJs out there. And then they, of course, think about the most recognized name in the b-boy and breakdance movement, uh, the Rocksteady crew, which which you've been a part of for, for a long time. Um, tell us a bit about the early days, though, of your musical journey and, and how you landed where you are today. How did you get into music? When did you get your first turntable? How did all of this happen? You know, music has always been a part of, you know, my life and my household. You know, like my parents always had records around the house, funk, soul, jazz, gospel. My grandparents always had records around uh, and, you know, just block parties as well. Like there were always summer block parties in the neighborhood. 
and I would always see DJs, um, you know, and of course, radio was a major part of, you know, musical culture, especially in black households. You know, it was a major part of like listening to the different genres, the funk, soul, jazz, disco. Um, and that know, was like the, early 80s or late 70s? That was early. Well, that was that was 70s. That was because yep. I was born in 71. So, you know, that's been a part of me since the beginning. And, you know, then when I started really understanding what was going on was the late 70s. And, you know, seeing seeing DJs at local block parties, you know, seeing my parents, you know, throw house parties and playing records. And it wasn't until 1981 where, you know, I really got bit by the bug of wanting to be a DJ, you know, hanging out with other kids that were you know, that I went to school with and their older brothers had turntables. So we would go to, you know, their houses after school. I'm talking about like fourth, fifth grade. We would go to their house after school. <laughs> school and practice and you know it was 1981 my parents bought me my first set of turntables and i haven't looked back ever since <laughs> when did when what was the first record you ever bought do you remember yeah you know what it's funny so the first record that i remember buying what with my own money was cool kyle the star child on enjoy records as well as buckner and garcia's pac-man fever on 45 <laughs> So you you got you got right. I mean, I mean your musical taste today and your musical taste back then. I mean, for starting from 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 the first records, I mean it is all very very on brand, right? I mean it, it it's really you you got that bug and 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 it was immediately in a in a in a certain direction, right? I mean your musical taste has a lot to do with your with your upbringing, right? Yeah, it does because you know the foundation of hip hop is James Brown. Right. Yep. And funk and soul music. So my parents was listening to that music. That's what I was listening to. But hip hop made it so that was like, OK, that music is their music. Hip hop music is my generation's music. <laughs> you know, fast forward to the present. It all comes full circle around. The music that I'm really into is the music that my parents were into, which was the foundation of hip hop, the funk, soul the jazz, yep. you know, when you think about it, all of the 90s uh, hip hop producers were sampling the jazz records of the 70s and 60s. So it all comes full circle around. So the music that I'm playing is very heavy on funk, soul, jazz, rare groove, disco, you know, and a lot of that music is still being made today. It's not just, you know, playing records of the 70s, and 80s, but there's a lot of jazz artists that are making incredible records now, a lot of funk and soul bands that are making incredible records now, you know, so it all comes back around. I love that, and that's how it usually that's how it usually works, right? Uh, you know, the, the 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 older you get, the more you understand, um, you know, music. The, the the more you dig back into what you what you grew up with, and yeah, uh, it's I I love I love you know following you you on Instagram and seeing all of this new stuff that comes out that ninety nine point nine percent of uh, music lovers are not even you know aware of, but there's a lot coming out that is. Like you said, that is that that is that genre, which you know, to a lot of people, has been a little bit forgotten, but not. For yeah, you. it has. And <laughs> you know, the fact that there's so many independent record labels across the globe, you know, there's there's such a plethora of of things to choose from. But it's hard, you know, for the the average consumer to really understand or find out or know about a lot of this music because, you know, although the internet and social media has made the world a such a smaller place, there's so much out there to dig through to get to. The music that you you know you might not know but you really might need in your life so i'm i've just been fortunate enough to be connected to all of these record labels across the globe and you know they service me with so much music and so many so much vinyl you know almost as this as if it's the 1980s and there were record pools and record labels were sending djs uh you know music all the time so yeah. 
Yeah, and I heard you. I heard you on on another podcast where you talked about you know you still playing stuff that is not out there yet, right? It's white label, it's promos, you know, and and you're just excited to 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 share that with people, and that's that that sounds like such a thing of the past, and it's so wonderful because I remember that going to the club and suddenly like there's a new tune no one ever heard, or there's a remix that no one ever heard, and it's just, I mean, it's part of it's part of the excitement that that is music, that is you exactly. know life DJ music. Yeah, and and you know the sad thing is a lot of DJs have gotten away from that. A lot of DJs, you know, they play the safe route, you know, and they want to play what's guaranteed on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. You know, the original DJs broke new records. They played new records, you know, and that's the thing about a DJ. A DJ is supposed to break records. I, I I never cared about playing the safe route. I never cared about being liked, you know, because my thing was I'm gonna play these records that you don't know that you need. You know, and a lot of these records are comparable to what was great 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You know, a lot of new records now are are just as good, you know, and just as relevant. So, yeah, that's my thing. I I have to play records first. I have to, you know, break these records. And, you know, it's it's pride. It's joy, you know, to be able to say like, oh, you know, the reason why all these other DJs want to play this record is because they heard it from me first. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, look, I mean, calling someone a, a vinyl digger, a record collector is one thing, but you are something else. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are pretty much no digital releases, I think, right? O- almost all 45s in your life, right? Most 45s, I assume you must have doubles off in order to do your work or, or, or you had to, you know, back in the day. Um, and I mean, talking about back in the day, your finds must have been kept a secret, right? Doing break DJ battles. It was super competitive, right? I mean, you have to keep everything kind of like under under wraps, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. I, that's what I love about the analog era of actually playing vinyl because you actually had to have those records. So records that I was playing on the break scene, especially early 2000s, where no other DJs knew what it was, like, everyone was on the hunt and that's a thrill right there to have everyone on the hunt to, mm-hmm. to you know find what you're playing but as digital came along and people start discovering what it was and hearing it on youtube they could rip it off of youtube or they could you know it just wasn't or they could rip it off your cd that you put out and you know it just it just it's, it's such yeah. a like yeah. a letdown. <laughs> yeah, know, I mean, I, I I totally agree. I mean, look, you know, I I mean, I'm a record collector by far, not where you're at, but uh, but you know, as as a hobby, you know, I I've got like a thousand seven hundred or something. It's not a huge amount, but it's you know, for me. I could go ahead and buy the stuff I want online, right? Like that 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 rare jam that I'm just looking for. I can see it online. I could just hit buy. But instead, I'm crawling through record shops around the world until I finally find it, right? There's still this, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, and we all buy online. There's nothing wrong with buying online, you know? Sure, but yeah. The thrill is finding it in a shop. You know, that's the thrill. Exactly. Because records come and go. And if records were meant to find you, they'll find you, you know, and as as travelers and, you know, if you live in a city that has great record shops, records will eventually come to that shop. Now, I I understand if it's something it's if it's regional where it's like, oh, this is a Brazilian record. The chances of a Brazilian record falling in a shop in whatever city is rare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so it's nothing wrong with buying it online. I, no. Look, I, I don't I don't mean to say that I don't buy online. I buy a lot online, especially during the pandemic, a lot, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's I, I don't buy, you know, those those gems where I feel like, oh my God, will I ever see it again? I'm like, no, right. that I want to find. I remember I was uh, I'm from I'm from Vienna, Austria. That's that's where my accent comes from. But um mm-hmm. but I was I was in Austria 
And I found an Australian promo that I know there are like 200 in the world of, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was like for 400 euros. And I'm like, oh, shoot, right? That's, that's a lot of money. And I had to go to the ATM, get the money out, right? Like, yeah. and, and do the whole thing. And I mean, it's worth, you know, quadruple it's now. It's worth it. But, but it was so amazing, that memory, that here you are in Austria buying an Australian promo that's like, there are only, a, you know, a couple hundred in the world. I mean, it's beautiful. And that's my point. My point is the experience of being out in the real world and finding something. You can't, like the stories of being able to tell that story 20 years down the line, how you found that record is amazing. Everything has to have a connection. Yeah. Everything. And just saying, oh, I was, you know, woke up 1 a.m. one night and I hit buy it now. That's not, there's no story to that. That's what I mean. That's what I, I mean. There's awesome. this emotion, right? And and I yeah. and, and and I love how you go on record shopping trips. I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I you have to. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I'm not talking about you know here's Scheme <laughs> Richards, you know, driving down the block. No, you're driving to the airport. You're flying somewhere for a day, you know, and you're yeah, actually and, you're and, going digging. You know, and that's my that's my thing because I look at like a lot of the '90s hip hop producers. That's what they were doing. They were jumping on a flight and going to a record show in Atlanta or, you know, jumping on a flight and going somewhere. And that's how I, I pretty much book my gigs based off of is <laughs> what city has the best burgers, best beer and records, <laughs> right? That's the, in I, that's that order I, or not in that order. You're in a, you're in a record order. podcast here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I that's how I book gigs. It's like, okay, I, I want to go digging. I need to go book a gig so I can go fly out and hit a record shop. You know, like that's, that's how I base everything off of. It's based off of my collecting, my collecting, you know, you know, fascination. My, 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 you know, that's what I'm a collector. I, yeah. I have to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I go on a lot of business trips. Well, I, I used to it. I hope it's around the corner again. And um, I always add an extra day to every one of my business trips. And I deserve it solely to go digging, right? As well uh, and, as you should. <laughs> I, and and I, I once took a, took a flight from LA back to Vienna. And I, I took the one flight that had an eight-hour layover in London. Just, just so that I could Uber to town, hit up six stores, which in London, I mean, incredible, right? Um, right. And, and, you know, and, and then I, st- I actually started documenting every single shop that I go to. And you do that, too. I think maybe not every single one, but I saw some of your blog pieces. But I've got like 158 pictures now of my worldwide record store footprint. <laughs> See, and, but that's, that's good. And I love that because I rate them, right? Like, I'm like, okay, this is how I love that one. So if I'm back in Atlanta or if I'm back in, you know, uh, Pittsburgh or wherever, I know these are the stores I want to hit up again. And these are the ones I've already done, right? So those those are the, those are the next Exactly. Ones. That's how it's supposed to go. I, I love it. I've, I've got your green light on that, on my behavior. That's that's Definitely. good. <laughs> <laughs> there are not many. There are not many like us, you know. But what 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 makes what makes to you what makes what makes an amazing, memorable, and successful record store experience? Like what is what what are the criteria where afterwards you just come out and you're like, wow, that was worth the flight. The most memorable ones are the ones where you go. And the shop owner is very knowledgeable hmm. and he hips you to records that you didn't know existed or you didn't know you needed. To I me, that. that's the priceless because you can go in the shop and you can see everything that you know on the walls or in the bins and you can buy them. You know, that's great. But it's the it's the record shop conversation. It's the shop owner introducing you to stuff that you didn't know you needed. The stuff that's behind the counter or in the back that's not outside. 
I so agree. I so agree. It's the, it's the conversation that is just as important as what's in the store, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because I've gone places and, and might not have bought too many records. I might have bought one or two records, but it was that conversation with the shop owner or someone else in there who was digging, which is priceless. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, this is a tough one. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite record store you've been to, local and or international, or or maybe two or three? You know, we don't have to single well, them out. So uh, local local shops. I mean, Toronto Cosmos Records, um, Japan. I'd have to say uh, Universe Sounds, and Amsterdam. I'd have to say Waxwell. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, finally one I've been to. <laughs> no. well, Wax, Waxwell and, and, and Red Light Records. I, I threw oh, them. yeah. Oh, yeah. That Red Light is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Philly, I'd say, you know, Milk Crate Records, because I have a great, great, you know, rapport with those guys, and they get some amazing records in. Um, yeah. You know, Denver, Recollect Records. You know, there's, 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 those are the top. I, I'd say those are the top. Okay. Right Okay, because it can keep going. We can yeah. go. We can go by 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 continent, by country, by. <laughs> yeah, but I'd say those. I'd I'd say Cosmos Records in Toronto, um, Red Light and Waxwell in Amsterdam, Recollect in Denver, and um, Milk Crate in Philly. And and Red Light makes so much sense sense for you because I, I've just been there a y- two years ago, right before the pandemic, actually. Um, and uh, I mean, the location is just so weird, right? And then and then you go in, you're like. Oh my God, like for that size of the store, because it's tiny, yeah. right? I mean, it's this tiny it's little t- thing. I mean, the stuff that they have is just mind blowing. The mind quality blowing. is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And and it and it feels like you're hanging out with your with your guys. I mean, you just walk yeah, in and does. you're immediately part of the family, like the, the second you come in, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that. I really love that. How how do you think? I mean, look look, record prices are at an all time high, right? I mean, you can go to Barnes and Nobles to a whole like vinyl section, right? It, it turned completely mainstream again, which which you know in a way is, is a really beautiful thing, right? But but it also is 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 a little bit strange, and and people who have never entered a record store or never in the last you know thirty five years, they're suddenly showing up. How does that affect record digging for someone like you who is spending hours over hours going through crates to find the grails? Well, I dig from a different patch of, of what other people <laughs> you know, so true, that's true. like, you know, the average consumer, it doesn't really bother me. What bothers me more is the fact that the major labels have jumped back on the vinyl bandwagon and the price of records have gone up. The pressing times for labels to get product pressed has turned into a one year wait versus a three month wait yeah. because major labels have jumped back into the game and they're pressing up records that, you know, don't need to be repressed. Greatest you, hits of everyone on 180, yeah, right? 180 yeah. and that's it. And, and Exactly. So yeah. that annoys me more than the consumer or it being sold at Barnes and Noble. It, 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 the, the record, the major labels and the pressing plants working together, pushing the little guy out when it was the little guy that kept the pressing plants in business for the last 20 years. So true. So I, that totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, but, well, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, the, the thing about life is you have to adapt, you know, and the way I look at it, there, when me and Supreme LaRock would say this all the time, when, when we were buying 
the funk 45s no one was not like it wasn't a trend the 45 thing wasn't a trend so we could still get the records cheap when everyone jumped on the 45 bandwagon and prices started going through the roof we said oh okay we're just jumping back on the disco 12 inches now because because <laughs> the, the 12 inches were so cheap yeah you know yeah. so it's just it's it's you know it's uh, it's adjusting you know and we figure out ways of, of, of how to adjust yeah no it's 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 totally i mean that's that's how it that's how it works and it is kind of exciting to see these waves right and and you adjusting and like what do you what do you do next right and one wave that i feel like you you haven't really jumped on um is uh is uh is is you know spotify all these online you know algorithms right because mm -hmm. uh, djs still play from their heart <laughs> and uh, you right. know what 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 are your thoughts on 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 the way that you know these services are kind of doing the exploring for people for the average consumer that's that's great you know i still believe in hearing a mix on on soundcloud or mixcloud from a dj who i know or might just be familiar with and hearing something and then getting excited because he played it in the mix yeah right yeah. because see when djs play things in the mix it's in context If you're just hearing it on the algorithm, you could hear one genre here and then it bounces over to something else. And then, you know, there's no context with it. So for me, it's like it's context. When I hear a DJ playing a record and he's playing it well and he brings something else in and I'm like, what is that? You know, well, it's, and it's all in context. It, it's kind of talking about context. It's kind of hilarious that Adele was the artist that actually finally brought Spotify to not have a shuffle you know automatically but actually play the songs in the in the way that they're supposed to be played in order right <laughs> right it, it took someone like adele to do that you know talking about um yeah you know, who, who's actually pressing the records these days but but yeah no it's um I, i i i totally agree let let's go back for a second for those not familiar with the art of breaking which i include myself in despite having once attended the scratch academy in la for all of one hour and i was struggling <laughs> through it and it was tons of fun but I was like totally over my head. Um, can you give my my listeners and myself uh, some idea on what it actually takes to do what you do flawlessly, the, the, the art of breaking, so to speak? Are we, are we talking about breaking records or? You know, B-Boy, right? B -boy, uh, are we talking, so breaking we're talking about battles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole yeah, so, the whole nine. So, you know, breaking for people don't that don't know, you know, the, the media term is breakdance. Um, but breaking is 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 what it's called. It's called b-boying or breaking, which is you know the hip hop term for it. And it's it's basically you know dance battles or cipher battles, which are just pretty much you know just you know people getting down in the circle. And you know as a DJ, the DJ's job is to keep the circles going the same way it is to keep a dance floor going. You know, and that's what that's what I do. So the the key is playing a lot of known songs with a lot of unknown songs to which brings excitement and you know because you can dance to you could have heard a song 50 times and you're going to dance to it the same way every time but if you hear something new for the first time it brings new excitement and you're going to dance to it totally in a hmm. fresh new way it's like a kid in a candy store hmm. right so you know as a dj that's what i do it's just it's it's comparable to being in a club you don't you you want to hear some songs that you know But you want to hear a lot of songs that you don't know, you know, because it's going to make you have new excitement on the dance floor. So, yeah. So for breaking, it's just DJing for battles is about keeping the flow going and, you know, 
introducing something new, introducing something that's funky and separating yourself apart from what other DJs are going to do. Because, you know, personally, your personal collection is just that your personal collection. Right. And it's it's something that's that has a connection to you. So what separates every other DJs is my connection to my records makes me spin my records much better. You can't play my records the way I play my records because you don't have that connection to those records. <laughs> I, know? Lo I love the, that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So as a DJ playing for breaking battles and, and just like breaking jams in general, it's just about keeping the floor going and playing great music, you know, but it's in context. You're playing funk, soul, breaks, you know, anything with a break, whether it's James Brown or it could be a jazz record that's got a really funky drum break in it, <laughs> you know, or a Latin break. You know, it's just about keeping things in context. You can't you don't really play disco. You don't play uh, broken beat. You know, you know, it's all in context of like that funky era. How how big is your collection these days? Do you know? Do you have any oversight? Do you have them? You know what's crazy? <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of people count. And I'm like, I've never counted records. You know, I would probably say, I would say it's 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 about fifteen thousand, and to a lot of DJ homies, that's nothing. Yeah, you know. But for me, my thing is quality over quantity, right? <laughs> I've had a lot of records, and I've gotten rid of a lot of records. Why? Because if I'm never going to play it again, I don't need taking up space. And someone else might enjoy it, yeah. Totally. And somebody else might enjoy it. Like I, I see guys that go out here, and and somebody will say, "Hey, here's a crate of records for a hundred dollars," and they'll buy that whole crate of records. Me, I don't need ten Diana Ross records. I don't need ten. You know what I'm saying? I don't need ten of the same <laughs> yeah, same records. Yeah, yeah. You know. So for me, I've gotten records over the years because the, what I liked in say 1991 to 95 when I was producing. The records that I was sampling from because it had one drum break on it, I don't need those records anymore because I'm never listening to those records again. Yeah. Right. So I'd say I would say anywhere between 15 and 20,000 records. Amazing. Yeah. And I mean, for you, I mean, a lot of records are just utilities <laughs> to a certain yeah. extent, right? Because you just need to take something out and that's it. You, you, you yeah. move on. You're not going to do see, it. I'm again. A working, I'm a working class DJ. So if I'm not, pl I'm not playing it out. Or if it's not something that I listen to at home, then me just having it just for the sake of making my crates look pretty, it's it's pointless. Yeah. You know, I got rid of a lot of stuff. A lot of I got rid of a lot of like early 90s hip hop stuff because I'm I'm just like, I'm not really playing this stuff anymore. And I, I have it on Serato if I really need to play it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not carrying those records out. But like the funk and soul and the disco 12 inches and the and the rare groove, that's the stuff that I'm playing out and that's the stuff that honestly has aged really well mm -hmm. yeah no totally and and which i mean is there is there is there a certain artist a certain group uh that that you feel like you have the most records of like something where you know like that's that's something that you just keep collecting or not really um so like all of the early cool in the gang stuff all of the really mm. really funky cool in the gang stuff before they kind of got a little commercially um i'd say uh a lot of Jimmy Smith in the jazz world, you know, a lot of Jimmy Smith, you know, I mean, I, you know, honestly, anything in the jazz world, I feel like I, I collect a lot of those same artists, the Jimmy Smiths, the, um, who else that just, just, just all of the jazz guys, mm -hmm. especially the jazz mm -hmm. guys, because I feel like 
you have to be a completist in the sense when it comes to like jazz. Like you can't just have the one record by that guy. It's like you have to have all 10 of those records by that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. And then you get into the soundtrack. So it's like I, I collect soundtracks. So it's like all the Yeah, black you're big into soundtracks, right? Yeah, like all the black exploitation soundtracks. Then you have to get some Italian soundtracks and then the, you know, the exploitation stuff. And, you know, it's just all across the board. So, you know, and as a collector in general, like there's only but so much space. I'm a toy collector. I'm a, you know, <laughs> a, a film movie poster collector, like a flyer collector. Like there's just, I, I can't have a bunch of records that I'm never going to use. That, yeah, that no, space totally, can be used totally. other way, otherwise, you know? If, if you would if you would go through your entire collection of 15,000, 15, which wouldn't take too long, um, <laughs> which which record do you cherish the most? Is there one record where it was it was it was one of your first, or it, it was that one find, or it was something that you you just have a really special relationship with? Maybe one of your own pressings. Is, is there is there like if I would if I would tell you you can only take one record with you and you gotta leave the house, what would it be? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's really also a difficult one <laughs> there's i mean it's it's like you know it's like your child your children or like your pets you can't really just pick one but i would say one record that really really means a lot was a record that me and my partner who uh dj groove freddie blast um he was the guy that taught me really how to how to dj and really how to produce and make beats we produced a song for mf doom on his venomous villain 2 album hmm. called rap game that right there, uh, that record would probably go with me. Because it's meaningful. Else. Yeah, no, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. And then, and then, and then on the opposite side, you know, I, I mean, I, I personally love spending some quality time on one dollar bins, um, because that's usually the stuff that people don't like. Uh, and there's there's something in there. Very often, it's a guilty pleasure. There's a reason why people don't like it. Um, is there like it's a record that I would pick up and I'm like, oh, this this means a lot to me, but everyone else thinks it's completely worthless. Um, is there anything like that in your collection where you feel like I got that for like 90 cents and it is absolutely bonkers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't even think of what a title would be right now, but like there's plenty of dollar <laughs> bin records that I've bought. Yes. <laughs> Plenty of do over the years, without a doubt. You know, it might have been something I bought and I heard a sample on. There might have been something that was just like, okay, there's one cut on this whole album that's just a great album, without a doubt. I don't discriminate when it comes to price. That's one thing yeah, I don't because yeah. it's all about what's on that. Because there's the honest, like you said earlier, a lot of records are like really expensive now. And in my opinion, they're expensive for no reason at all, just for the sake of because vinyl is the hot thing. Yeah. Right. So a lot of those records that are the hot records now were two dollar ninety nine cent records yeah. before. Totally. I, I know. I know. It's it's well, it's hilarious, too, because you go into some shops and uh, and, you know, you find in the one dollar bin the exact record that just has been re-released -re for like forty dollars on double vinyl. Right. And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't even sound as good. It doesn't sound <laughs> good. Some of these some of these like reissues and like these these you know remixed and remastered i'm like they don't sound good first of all that if if music was made in the 1970s it was made with certain instruments yep. it was recorded and mixed down with certain equipment somebody going back 30 40 years later when it's digital and you trying to go back and remix that album you're coming with a you're coming with a digital air that person was in the uh, analog world yeah, yeah. And create an analog world so 
that's how that record was supposed to sound. That's how they wanted it to sound. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, you, you already start with a disadvantage, right? Even trying to do it. And and look, I mean, there are some from the original tapes, et cetera, et cetera, that, that you know, where maybe the recordings weren't that great in the beginning and they're amazing now. There are definitely some of them. But for the for the, for the the majority, I, I'm 100% there with you. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, because quality changed. And I mean, just now when you think about the demand in, in, in the record production, I mean, of course, the quality is going to suffer because you're just going to have to churn these things out. You right. know, and, and you got to use any machine that's around. Yeah. And and so I respect like those guys, the, the guys who had little equipment and put out amazing songs. I, I, I give them so much respect versus the guy who has all of the equipment and your songs aren't. It, it, they may sound yeah. clean, yeah. but they're not as good as those other songs that were made in the 70s. Well, and you're still working, you yourself are still working with some of those, you know, super small labels that put out, you know, like, I don't know, 200 or 500 of your 45s as super limited. And I'm sure they are the kind of people that have that kind of quality. Exactly, exactly. Like, like Funk Night Records and, um, you know, like Funk, uh, Funk Night Records is, is one of the major, it's one of the major independent <laughs> records because they put out so much every year you know, and they've been doing it for 15 years, yeah. you know, putting out some of the best funk soul stuff. And now they're putting out a lot of like really amazing jazz records with like Misha Panfilov from Estonia, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Marky Funk from Israel, who who has the D-Lights label. He's putting out a lot of like psychedelic uh, soundtracky type stuff, cinematic funk. You know, these guys are like putting out some amazing music. You know, and I can't even I can't even tell you how how appreciative I am on on you know I mean us doing this interview is one thing, but I actually got lost in all of your recommendations last night. I mean, I bought stuff. I bought the Kista album from from the UK last night. Uh, you know, I mean, I just had yeah. to order stuff because I'm like, look, there are not even many copies of all of that stuff out there that you share with people, and I I highly recommend uh, anyone uh, who's interested uh, um, in 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 soul and and funk and hip hop and jazz and anything in between to to follow at Scheme Richards uh, on 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 Insta and of course everywhere else. Um, you know. Uh, where uh, you know where where you can be found because it's 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 amazing how you share these releases. What is a recent release or you know one of the latest releases that you're super excited about? Uh uh Muriel Grossman, a, a jazz a saxophonist jazz artist from she lives in Spain. She's from uh, where she's from. She's not from Spain, but she lives in Spain amazing jazz artists and he cool. releases some of the most amazing jazz lps ridiculously like she she composes produces in the whole nine like <laughs> she's amazing um that's fantastic but, we'll check yeah but out. like also anything misha panvelov does from estonia like this guy's a musical genius who who he doesn't sleep he's in the studio sun up to sun down and he puts <laughs> out some amazing Music like there's so many low key artists that the masses would never know about, but these people are just like geniuses of our time. Uh, I can't wait to listen to all of this, and and we usually we usually put together a playlist, um, you know that that goes along with this podcast where we try to try to get as many of the artists that you mention uh, into those playlists. So I'm I'm looking forward to to putting that together um, as well. To to slowly finish off, um, top five albums. In no particular order. Top five albums. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I would have to say 
the Pharaohs. Uh, what is the name of the album? I'm so bad with titles. It's 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 so crazy. I'm I'm bad with titles. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, that 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 doesn't work in your in your profession. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know you know it's crazy because I'm I'm more a site guy. So if I see a label, I'm like, oh, I know that I know what record that is. But yeah. if you ask me, hey, what was that record with the orange label? I'll be like, um, and I'll go back and look, and I'm like, oh, it's so and so. I'm I'm bad with titles. Um, but but I would have to say. The Pharaoh's LP, whatever the the jazz, uh, I'm bad. I'm bad. It's okay. I'll, 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 yeah, well, yeah. The Pharaohs. Um, then I would have to say, uh, Jimmy Smith Root Down. Hmm. Um, then I would have to say, Two Down, Three to Go. Uh, let's see. I would have to say a Tribe Called Quest. Of course. Um, instinctive or I, I'm going with low in theory. Okay. Um, then from there, I would have to say, Ooh, good, good question. Uh, <laughs> good question. And this is not the ultimate five top five list of yours. These are the yeah, top you know, five my, that come to mind because otherwise this is going to be too stressful. <laughs> yeah, my my my, my, my top fives are always constantly changing depending on the season or my mood. It's always yeah. it's, it's it's constantly changing. Um, so number three, I would have to say, um, I think we're number four now. I think we're doing good. Yeah. Oh, four, four. Yeah. Um. I would have to say uh Gangstar Hard to Earn. Mm. And James Brown Black Caesar soundtrack. I was wondering when James Brown comes in. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, James Brown's got so much, and I'm like, ah, oh, what's which one? But like James Brown Black Caesar soundtrack. Cool. Awesome. I I that that is that is fantastic. What Look, I know you're 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 off. You're you're catching a plane now. What what's next for you musically? Like any any releases of your own? Uh, any mixtapes, big events, collaborations that you can share that you're excited about in the next six months? Yeah. Um. So we we just sent off a, my next 45 to the pressing plant. So oh, hopefully cool. by August that'll be ready to go. Um, I have a new cassette dropping. I'd say in the next month month and a half so those uh, are literally mixtape cassettes that you yeah these put are together yeah straight actual, from vinyl yes yeah, physical um so I, i just have to send the artwork in so it can get duplicated um that's shifting gears three which which shifting gears three is like the diggers mixtape of like the unknown or the rare you know samples sound bites drum breaks you know just so cool so, so that um, and then I have another one, uh, which is all funk 45s that I'm dropping like right after that. I have, I, I honestly, I have a, probably about seven or eight cassettes I'm going to drop this year. <laughs> yeah. I, I have about seven or eight I'm going to drop and that's, you know, plus whatever collaborations come my, my way. You know, I want to do another compilation, um, project with funk night records. I did two, two previous ones with them where I took their catalog and just did a whole mix of their catalog. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, hopefully I can get back to Japan as well to, to work on some stuff. because that's always a favorite destination as well. Which makes so much sense. Yeah. I totally get that. It's, um, look, it is such a, it is such a pleasure to talk 
with with people like yourself who are so i mean you're just in it i mean the passion is just coming through the air here it's, it's really amazing and yeah I think it keeps me young this is what keeps me young yeah yeah no for sure i totally understand and i i can very much relate um scheme where can people find you um nostalgia king yes you can find me on nostalgiaking.com um i do a lot of record reviews over there as well as I post up photos and recommendations of my tours and travels and record shops and food, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big food guy. So like burger connoisseur, ramen connoisseur, beer connoisseur. So if you love to eat, you can follow me there as well. Food um, and music. It doesn't get much better. Food and music, right? It gets no better than that. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, well, because the, the three things that connect the world are food, music and culture. Yeah. And as Nostalgia King, this is what I, this is, I'm, I embody those three things, you know? That's awesome. Um, so Instagram, you can find me at Scheme Riches and Instagram. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm around, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You're very, you're very approachable, um, you're, which also shows by you coming on this, uh, coming, coming on my show, um, even though it's a very, very young show still. Um, this, this was absolutely amazing and quite frankly i i can't wait to to jump into a lot of the stuff that you uh you you hooked us up with uh this morning so thank you so much for your for your time have a have a safe flight and um and we'll we'll talk soon scheme thank you very much i appreciate being on and you know thank you to everyone that's tuning in and you know have a good day my pleasure Scheme Richards, this man is my new recommendation go-to, right next to Charles Peterson, I think. I, I see a lot of money going into the small labels and, uh, and, and not much known artists that he is sharing with us. I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, just as much as I have uh, the conversation. And if so, please do subscribe, rate, and share the show. This is a brand new show, so it needs all the love it can possibly get. And make sure to catch the accompanying playlist where we put together a majority of the songs and artists that Scheme mentioned during this interview. Obviously, not a lot is on Spotify when you're digging deep, right? But whatever we found, we put it up there. Sound Habit is produced by Tone Optic, where we believe that storing and selecting records should be intuitive and engaging. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Sound Habit theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you in the next episode of Sound Habits.